Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. Over 70,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash gps. netsuite.com slash gps. This is GPS, the global public square. Welcome to all of you in the United States and around the world. I'm Farid Zakaria, coming to you from Kiev. Today, a special edition of the program from Ukraine, a country that's been at war now for almost 600 days. I have an exclusive interview with the country's president, Volodymyr Zelensky. This week, he fired his defense minister, visited the front lines, and welcomed Secretary of State Blinken. I ask him about all that and more. Ukraine will never go back, go away from our land. Then, as it awaits F-16 fighters, Ukraine's best weapons up in the sky are drones. The country's so-called army of drones has been a game changer for surveillance, dropping bombs, and kamikaze missions. I talked to the mastermind behind the program, the country's Minister of Digital Transformation. Finally, the children of war. Last September, I introduced you to some amazing kids in Kyiv who had just gone back to school for the first time since the war started. This week, we went back to see them again. to see how they're holding up after another year of strife. After all these dark times, you want to live the best life that you can. But first, here's my take. The overnight train ride from Poland to Ukraine is a reminder of why this land has been so hotly contested over the last century. Ukraine's soil is among the most fertile on the planet. We passed vast fields of wheat and other crops dotted with small farmhouses, some of them still using horses to plow the fields. As we approached Kyiv, the landscape quickly shifted to urban. Despite the war, Ukraine's railways continue to be clean, comfortable and efficient. My train rolled into Kyiv right on time. That might be a phrase that says a lot about Ukraine. Despite the war, Kyiv is now almost normal. A year into the invasion, roughly half of Kyiv's population had fled, but many people have since returned. The city had about 3.9 million residents in 2021 before the fighting started, and it's back to around 3.6 million today, local sources tell me. The Yalta European Strategy Annual Meeting is also still being held, despite the war, as it has been held for nearly 20 years. Located originally in Yalta, and then after the 2014 invasion in Kyiv. 
Victor Pinchuk, the organizer, told me the struggle for Ukraine is the most important struggle in the world right now, and we need to keep the world's attention focused on it. Most here are trying to keep life as normal as possible. Stores and cafes are bustling. Air raid sirens went off while I was having dinner at a friend's place, and no one even stopped eating. But there are constant reminders of the conflict. Billboards scattered around the city that mourn Ukraine's lost heroes, as the fallen soldiers are often called. Sandbags and roadblocks. Everyone is exhausted and sober. Ukraine's losses have been terrible, in cities destroyed and soldiers and civilians killed. As a German friend who has lived in Kyiv for years put it to me, there's a growing understanding of loss as part of normalcy. People are adjusting to the reality of knowing more and more people who have been killed or wounded. It's a tough, sad condition. But exhaustion does not equal surrender. No one I spoke with believed that Ukraine should stop fighting to get back its territories. They were disappointed that the counteroffensive is not going better, but it only reminds them that this will be a long struggle. Were they to make a premature peace, many said to me, this would only be a temporary pause. The Russians would come back and they would simply have pushed the burdens of war onto the next generation. When you speak with people at greater length, their views are more nuanced. No surrender is the mantra, but some said it was possible to imagine a ceasefire, with Ukraine never legally endorsing the legitimacy of Russian rule over parts of the Donbass and Crimea, in exchange for real security guarantees. As one Ukrainian politician who wished to stay unnamed told me, it's easy for all of us who have not been in the fighting to refuse to compromise. The real question is, what are the attitudes of the soldiers in the field and those who have returned? They might have more nuanced positions, but they will have to articulate them. The dominant worry in Kyiv is not about Russia, but the West. They have reason to be worried. Support for Ukraine is losing strength in some European countries. An election in Slovakia could bring into power a prime minister who is distinctly pro-Russian, which would give Hungary's Viktor Orban a useful ally in trying to change Europe's policies. In the U.S., support for Ukraine is slipping. More crucially, many observers believe that the Russians are determined to stay the course until the 2024 election, hoping that Donald Trump would be elected and that he would quickly hang the Ukrainians out to dry as he searched for a deal with Putin. That would be a disaster, legitimizing naked aggression and emboldening dictators like Putin and Xi Jinping, who want to disregard norms and rewrite the rules of the international system. The jungle, as Robert Kagan calls it, would return to international life. The West has often fought wars alongside allies who were not deeply committed to their own cause, let alone the larger cause of freedom from Afghans and Iraqis to the South Vietnamese and even the South Koreans who were defending a nasty dictatorship during the Korean War. The Ukrainians are different, utterly committed to their independence, but also to the values the West holds most deeply. Ukrainians understand that they are in for a long war of attrition. 
They understand that they are up against a formidable foe. Russia is almost four times Ukraine's population and about 15 times its economic size. They are ready to persevere, but they worry that their allies are not. Go to CNN.com slash Fareed for a link to my Washington Post column this week. And let's get started. President Zelensky is almost always working, but this week seemed particularly eventful and busy for him. Last Sunday, he announced he was replacing his longtime defense minister, Oleksiy Reznikov. A day later, he was visiting troops in two of his nation's frontline regions. Then on Wednesday, he received Secretary of State Antony Blinken in Kyiv, just three weeks after Washington agreed to finally send F-16s to Ukraine. And on Thursday, Zelensky introduced the world to his new defense minister, Rustam Umarov. I sat down with Zelensky on Friday at his presidential offices in Kyiv. Mr. President, pleasure to have you on again. Thank you so much. Everyone is wondering about the counteroffensive. Um, there was a, f- a, a sense that it was slower than expected. Now there is some hope that it is speeding up. Uh, can you give us a sense from your perspective? What, how is it going? It depends on many directions, on many cases and issues, how to uh, speed up counteroffensive. But remember that we need the result. The result we, we need we have to get our our land. We have to get to occupy the land, and it's all, all also not about the land. It's about the people because the frozen war is not the peace. Putin he want to take all our country, to destroy all our families, houses, because if he understands why he destroy, he understands that that Ukraine will never go back, go away from our land. We'll never do it. That's why he has to kill us. Uh, he, he wants to do it. Th- that's why when we, when we speak about the con- counteroffensive, it depends on many cases. Of course, we gave a lot of time for Russians. We gave a lot of time to prepare to mine. To, to uh, put the mines in. To put the mines on the fields and on the big territory. And so you, you see the three defending lines. And that's because you were waiting for Western For the weapons. weapons. That's why I said, yeah, yeah that's why that what I said. It depends on many issues. We, we, look, we waited too long. It's true. No, I'm thankful to partners, to United States, EU, other partners. I'm thankful very much, President Biden and to Congress. But we, we have to understand. We, first, we waited too long. They put mines. Then when we been ready from the point of view of our partners, because the decision to give us, for example, Bradley or another kind of weapon, the decision, it doesn't mean the result. You don't get them immediately. Of course, the, of course you don't. Of course you don't. So something still on the way. Till now, when we are sitting and speaking about it, when counteroffensive, when a lot of different people said that it's too slow, but it's still on the way. Do you feel as though uh, when you go to uh, to Europe and the United States and you and you make these uh, demands, you 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 have these lists of weapons? Do they listen to you? Uh, first of all, what we need: long-distance weapon systems, long-distance 
artillery, rounds, systems, etc. Everybody speaks about the ATACMs. It's very important. Everybody speaks about the jets, for example, in the sky. It's very important. We have the decision. Let's, let's start from the ATACMs. I hope and I will speak with President Biden. For me, it's very important his thoughts and his support in it. I think he can change this page and this war. Once he did it with the HIMARS. It was very important with HIMARS. So it's about ATACAMS. I will speak with the President Biden again. It's not the first dialogue. So we are moving. I hope we'll get it in autumn. For us, it's very important not to do the pause in this counteroffensive, and I need it very much. The second, when we speak about the jets, and I said before the counteroffensive with our partners that they have to, to know and to recognize that we don't control the sky. How to control or even to compare with the power of Russia in the sky? All of us want to have success and happy end. First of all, it's not a movie, it's not one, one hour and a half. It's, it's about counteroffensive. It's not the movie with the happy end. We will not have happy end. We lost a lot of people. No happy end. That we have to recognize it. A victory that's only one thing that can bring the occupation of our land. It means not to give possibility for Russia to attack other countries, Baltic, Poland, and then to bring all of us back, you know, by this aggression back to USSR. We don't want. That's only position for this. Victory is not happiness. Victory is only one possibility to a lie. And people in the West have to recognize it. Not our, not our values, common values. Not our war, common war. We pay the highest price, it's true. And I don't want to repeat this words. Everybody knows this word, but they can not only know. People in the West have to feel it. And you can choose. Feel it when your families under attacks. You really want it? You really want to, to try it? I, I'm, I'm not, I can't recommend it. Next on GPS, will Volodymyr Zelensky seek compromise with Putin at the negotiating table? Should he? I'll ask him. This podcast is supported by NetSuite. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit from NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com gps. netsuite.com gps. There are people 
who say um, there has to be some kind of negotiation. We can't go on like this. Uh, the president of Brazil, Lula, has said Ukraine needs to get out of a Cold War mentality and compromise and even uh, understand that some territory will have to be given to Russia. I'm paraphrasing, but I think that's roughly speaking the kind of view. And you know, you've heard this. What do you say to people like President Lula? First of all, he has his own position. It's his rights. I'm okay with people are free and they can give their position worldwide. But I think he, he doesn't understand that the position of Putin not to stop the war, that is the answer. His position to continue, his position to continue the war, his position is to divide the Europe, his position is not to have strong European continent. One prime minister told me, and it's true, and she, she, she's one of our friends, she said that, you know, why I'm supporting? My question was, why, why you support us? And she said, uh, people who understood Putin have to choose only you support Ukraine or you support Russia. There is no other variance, really. There's no space in between. No space between. It's true. The, 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 the question of the time. The question of the time. When you will recognize it and when you will understand it. It means that if Lula don't support us, he will. If he doesn't support us, he will support Russia. Even if he doesn't want. That's why. Lula, maybe he said, I don't know what, what did he mean, but he said it about that it, we, we have to stop the war and we have to find compromise compromise always with the people who are ready to compromise, who are compromistic to other issues. Did you see any compromises from Putin in other issues? Did you see? Did somebody saw? Did somebody see? With Chechnya, with Georgia, with Moldova, he occupied it, all these countries. He divided all these nations. Do you, do you think Putin is stronger today or weaker um, after Prigozhin, after everything? I think he is, no, my, my, my thoughts, that is the real face of him. That is the real face. There are the answers. How he see his life, the life of people, how he see what will be tomorrow, uh, how he control. And you will find in this, on, in, in one case with Prigozhin, you can find, and even Lula, he can also find for himself and such, uh, such partners, they can find all the answers. Just see the way he handled Prigozhin. Yes, that is the answer. How Putin control everything. He control only people's minds, but he doesn't control what's going on he, in, in, in the country. He doesn't control. Then, he, when he understood that a little, a, a, a big part of society supports Prigozhin, what he did, he killed him. But before he killed, he gave him promises. The territory of Belarus gave him new locations. The Africa 
issues and businesses. A lot of different things. So he lied to promotion. Yeah. Yes, of course. That's mean, and that is the answer. When you want to have compromises or dialogue with somebody, you can't do it with a liar. Next on GPS, I asked President Zelensky about why he fired his defense minister and how he plans to weed out corruption in his country. On September 3rd, President Volodymyr Zelensky announced his plans to replace his longtime defense minister. The move came amidst ongoing corruption scandals relating to the military. But that's not the only part of the government people point fingers at. In one recent poll, 89% of Ukrainians said that aside from the war, corruption was the country's most serious problem. Further afield, politicians from donor countries like the U.S. have grown concerned that continued financial support will not serve the war effort and instead line the pockets of corrupt officials. More on all that now with President Zelensky. Uh, back at home, you are fighting corruption. Um, you fired the defense minister. You've put a new defense minister in place. This is something, as you know, people in the West worry a lot about. There's a lot of money going to Ukraine. Um, do you think you have been able to stop this uh, and put in place a system that will stop it? First of all, we have to understand that uh, um, everything which today um, belongs to justice in Ukraine, justice for today for people is very sensitive. And it's because of the war, because our fighting for these values, the, 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 we, we can't, you know, uh, we can't uh, give possibility to live that way which we lived during some years before and etc. Dozens of years. It doesn't matter now how, how many years ago it was. It means how it will be after the war and after the victory. Another country, another people, another generation, another way. So that's but why. But are you, are, you are you able to make the changes to get to course. that new way? No, 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 I have no, I have no another way. Here, here I don't have alternative and I don't want. We don't want to have any compromises with any, not only corrupt, corrupted things or people, even thoughts about it, you know. But look, there are a lot of people who say there has been a lot of corruption in this first year. And that it, that's why you are firing. First of all, you have to know all these cases, all these all these cases are not with the help, are not connecting that Nepovyazna, as not connected with the help of our partners. So it's not about the weapon of our partners or money for the weapon, or uh, money for the uh, budget to uh, give uh, pensions, social support, etc. It's uh, in other cases. It's not about the partners. So, so part this, these are Ukrainian these funds? These are Ukrainian cases, but anyway, yes, but anyway, it doesn't matter for me. Now, we will fight and will in the, and win in this war. But again, I'm underlining it's not the money of our partners. Also, it's important to know. 
finally, 600 days of war for you, non-stop work. Um, how are you holding up and do you get depressed? Do you, how, how are you managing? No, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm okay. So I can live with it. And I, I sometimes, sometimes, I don't, I don't have a lot of time, but sometimes I'm looking on my children. Yes. They are in Ukraine. They are very Ukrainian. And I'm happy that they are here. I mean that this generation will make Ukraine, the, I think, great because they are, they are very strong with all the positions, with all the values, with all, you know, they are very free. And I'm so happy. Then I look, like I said, I'm, I'm looking to the mirror. I, I see another person older. <laughs> Maybe wiser. <laughs> Maybe wiser, thank you, thank you. Our friends say, say wiser, <laughs> and other people say older, but it doesn't matter. My wife, I'm happy that I have, she's nice, she's so strong. She's day by day, she's stronger and nicer and younger. She has a lot of energy. So you look older in the mirror, but she looks younger. <laughs> yes, and you see, this is, Yes, and you see, this is the same mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. President, thank you so much. Thank you, you so much. You've got to go get back to, to the war. Yeah, thank you so much. My thanks again to President Zelensky for speaking with me and for making the effort and speaking to me in English. Next on GPS, I talk to another key figure in the Ukrainian government, the man who is the mastermind behind Ukraine's drone war. From executive producers Park Chanuk and Robert Downey Jr., The Sympathizer is the new HBO original limited series based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel of the same name. Join me, Philip Nguyen, a scholar of Vietnamese-American culture, and the cast and crew as we discuss the making of this historic series. Subscribe now to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and stream HBO's The Sympathizer starting April 14th exclusively on Max. The war in Ukraine is in many ways an old-style land war with tank warfare and trenches. But it is also revolutionary, perhaps most notably in the use of drones. Both sides have used drones for surveillance, to drop bombs, and to make kamikaze attacks. Of course, these drones are quite expendable and easy to disable. One estimate in May found Ukraine was losing about 10,000 drones a month. That gives you a sense of the scale of this drone war. Behind Ukraine's army of drones is Mikhailo Fedorov, the Deputy Prime Minister for Innovation, Education, Science and Technology. I sat down with him yesterday. So when, I, when I've talked to people who have been on the battlefield uh, in Ukraine, they say that the Ukrainian army confronts a terrible uh, dilemma, problem. There's huge amount of, uh, of mine, landmines that have been laid out, after which you get to these very big concrete trenches where the Russian uh, soldiers are, after which there is a huge amount of Russian artillery, uh, tanks and armored vehicles waiting. Normally, the U.S. Army would clear this out by having air superiority. You don't have that you, because you barely have an air force that might change. The only solution I'm told is 
drones. And drones are the great asymmetrical uh, weapon you have. Do you believe that that is the, the path for Ukraine to break out of this stalemate? Yes. I think that uh, the side will win that will have more drones that will use them with the best quality. Drones are definitely the important thing for today and for the future in this war. So we really put very many efforts in uh, building an army of drones so that uh, we can develop and design air drones and ground drones and water drones because they really help us in real time to get quality information on the enemy. They allow us to hit the enemy both on sea, on the ground and the air and of course they will be helping us to demine the fields. That's our next focus and it will, it can make, it can be decisive. Now you're buying a lot of off-the-shelf drones, Chinese-made drones but you're also designing your own drones. Um, what are the things you're trying to design that you can't use commercial drones for? Well, as a matter of fact, if we look at uh, how much we are buying, how many drones we are buying inside the country that are produced here and abroad, 95%, 90-95% are the drones that we design inside the country. We develop them with the use of components from all over the world, but we do that in Ukraine. And they have an advantage over many world brands because the technological war means that there are changes every day. Every day you have radio-electronic warfare, new means, Russia has that. And every day we need to respond to those products. Every day the doctrine of how to use them changes. We have to respond to them. During this year we have increased the production of drones more than 100 times. Some people have thought that this will be the future of war. You know, there'll be these automated drones going at each other. But when I look at Ukraine, I see you're using a lot of drones. The Russians are using drones too. But there's still an enormous amount of, of human death. Uh, that doesn't seem to be going away. I think that today it's just the beginning of the technological war, a real one. We're just at the very early stages. Everything is ahead. Drones will hit drones, will shoot them down. The role of AI will become much bigger in capturing targets in the battlefield. Doctrines will keep changing. The systems of situational awareness will keep developing. That will get us a better understanding of what's happening in the battlefield and lose fewer people. Everything is moving to a situation where robotized technologies will be fighting robotized technologies. And the one who will be the first to make those steps, who will reach the goals faster, will win this war faster. Let me ask you about something that's out in the, in the news which involves you, which is Elon Musk and Starlink and this, this, the, the issue of last September, an effort to attack Crimea uh, and, and the, the Russian naval base. The, the, the way the story is told, and Elon Musk confirms it, is that the Ukrainians, perhaps you, requested that uh, Starlink be extended uh, into Crimea so that you could operate in Crimea for this attack. Elon Musk said no, because he thought that was widening the war. Does that mean that if Ukraine were to try to get back territories that were captured by the Russians in 2014, 
Elon Musk will not allow that his technology to be used in that process, and it would be crippling for you because that would mean you would have no internet connectivity if you are trying to get back territories annexed in 2014. If you're trying to get the stuff that was annexed in 2022, you have the green light from Musk, but 2014, there's a red light. In fact, that case just became well-known because Elon Musk is quite a popular person in the world, but there are technologies that one can use that work effectively in the Black Sea, in the Crimea, and these are other satellite-based systems, these are military satellite systems, and you see that there have been successful missions related to the Crimean Bridge, many other missions to hit the enemy ships and all of it used very many different communication means do you think musk is fully supportive of ukraine's war effort do you think he's a neutral how do you how do you view him you've dealt with him a lot he's in fact it's because of your tweet to him that that he turned starlink on in ukraine if I look at his concrete, specific actions, probably out of private companies investors, he has done the most for the victory of my country. We don't know what could have happened if we didn't have satellite communication systems in the first days of the war, if we didn't have dozens of uh, hundreds of Starlink terminals that are working well, that allow us to provide effective communication means. I think he has done very much for my country. Next on GPS, you will meet some amazing teenagers I talked to this week in Kyiv. It's that time again, summer is drawing to a close and kids in many parts of the world have been going back to school. But back to school in Ukraine looks quite a bit different. This was the first day of school for kids in Krivirik in central Ukraine. They were forced to spend part of it in a bunker because of the air raid sirens overhead. They are some of the nearly four million children who went back to school on September the 1st. Children who have now lived through a year and a half of war. A year ago, we introduced you to several Ukrainian students in Kyiv. This year, we've come back to see how some of those same kids are doing. I met up with 15-year-old Masha, 16-year-old Lera, and 11-year-old Maria, all from Kyiv. I also spoke with Vika, 14, from close to the border with Russia. And I met two students, both named Maxine a 10-year-old from Kyiv and a 16-year-old who is from the eastern city of Severodonetsk, now under Russian control. So the first question I have is, what's it been like for another year like this? So like it might have started out and you may have thought this was a, a brief thing, but now does it feel like this is the new life that you have, like, you know, kind of going to school while a war is going on? It is a new thing for all of us but uh, I think we got used to it because we've had this routine for last year and now it doesn't really feel like there's something unusual about it just uh, a new life we have to get used to so Maxim you come from a town Severodonetsk which is now occupied by the Russians yeah. right when did that happen and were you where were you when did you leave we um uh, stayed at the city a very long time, so there are 66 uh, days 
of bombarding Kawa City and uh, you know, like and the, you were there while yeah. that was happening and the line uh, of front like uh, uh, be uh, was uh, like um, we are near to city so and there are like Russian soldiers so we were close that must have been scary <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you could hear the the, the bombardment. Yeah, the bombardment, the artillery, and uh, even like um, AK-74 or something like that. Uh, also, we are here. Do any of you know somebody who's fighting? Yes, unfortunately, my mother is fighting right now, and I can say that uh, she's sometimes on the front line, sometimes not. But I hope she will be okay. And she's actually on the front lines she's uh, like, she's uh, she can help she can cure some soldiers so so she's, she's in the, the medevac units yes. but that's all right at the front line sometimes yes sometimes not do you get scared uh, i was very scared i was crying a lot um, in the autumn and it was very scary for me and for my family for my brother and father but now it's okay because I get used to it, unfortunately. And uh, sometimes when I just think about that I got used to the thought that my mom can possibly die at any moment, it's just, yeah, I, I can say that, I can't say any words about that. I think any child uh, can't express that. Masha, I remember when, we, when, you were, when you were on the show the last time, um, you talked about how you had a message for Putin and how you said, you know, does he realize how much pain and destruction he's causing? Um, do, you, do you feel like, has your message changed one year later? Definitely no, because uh, this year of war feels much more personal for me because my dad is fighting on the first line. It's really hard for me to say. Uh, but, you know, it's not the same situation for me as Vika because she said she used to it. And I understand her, but for me, you know, it's really hard to leave with the thought that your father can die. Like, and you can lose him anytime. So for me, I think this message is still like very um, meaningful. Wow. Um, when you, do you think you have lost some of that, the innocence of childhood? All of us. Oh. Russians took away from us our childhood and... And our teenage years. What, what do you, like, fantasize about if you think about, like, what's the thing you look forward to, you hope for? I think the peace. I just want to live in peace and I don't want to be scared about anything in my life. Max, what kind of... If this war wasn't going on, what do you think you'd be able to do? Uh, I'd be able to go to the uh, tournaments in other countries. Like, uh, I'm playing football. Uh, my hobby is football, uh, I love playing football and uh, uh, I could go with my team to some tournaments not only in Kiev, uh, we could go to other countries and maybe other uh, towns. Do have any of you changed your minds about what you'll do with your life because of this war? Of course, I really want now to go and uh, have a job in the fields of uh, international relationships and uh, international law because I don't want any child ever experience what we are going through now, me, Masha, and every child in Ukraine. It doesn't matter. It's uh, south. It's, it's just all Ukraine. 
war actually gave me some certainty because uh, before I was doubting about my career, but then right now I'm pretty sure I want to be a journalist. I just want to spread information about ongoing problems in the world because uh, since the war started, I realized how important uh, informational war is. Maria, what do you think? I don't know what I would do in my in future, but I sure know I want to live in Ukraine. Like I lived uh, some time in America, and I just it wasn't my home. I wanted to live here. I want to go to school here. I want to like um, make our country better. Any of you wanted uh, any lessons for teenagers? Any. Uh, the main piece of advice for me is very basic. Enjoy every moment of your life because you don't know what is going to be the next. You don't know whether you're going to be with your mother or father or they will be gone or your friends or like the path of your life. It's just, it's very unpredictable. And the same was when we woke up on the 24th of February and we realized that That's not the same life as I was living last day, so yeah. Well, you guys have been amazing and very kind to share all this with us and to share it with the world. Um, I hope we can come back and do this with Ukraine in peace. And that is our program from Kyiv. Thanks to all of you for being part of the program this week. I will see you next week. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.